Hello and welcome to another episode of the Haskin Cast podcast. I am your host, Scott Haskin. And before I get to my guest, I have a very quick update for you guys. Finally, the book trilogy is in editing. The first book is done and being beta read right now. The second book is heading into editing very quickly. And I'm hoping beyond hope to have the entire trilogy out later this year. So fingers crossed and I'm starting work on a new album next week. It's going to be a little bit experimental, so we'll see if it works out. But that's not why you're here today. Today you're here to hear, you're here to hear from my wonderful guest who I've known for years and yet really don't know at all. Her name is Sesh. She's awesome. Let's bring her on the show. Sesh Evans, how are you? Hi, I'm pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I think you're having a great day, it sounds like. It, it's good. I've had some whiskey, though, but it's a good day so far. Good enough. <laughs> So you have so many different uh, facets that that I've enjoyed watching your career build into over the years since we connected. And it's just been amazing to watch your journey. It seems like you take on everything and then just discard, yeah, this doesn't really work, or I don't like that as much. I'm going to focus on this instead. Do you feel like you just have so many things that you wanted to try? I have so, 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 so many things that I wanted to try and so, so, so many things that I have tried. Um, I find it less easy to actually discard some of these things. So I'm kind of in the process of discarding right now. Well, you know, it's it's one of those things when you're multi-talented or have multiple interests that they say that if you're going to be good at anything, you have to just dedicate yourself to it. But I think you have to do things outside of it. You know, having two or three different things that you do could be really good because it keeps it all fresh for you. And when one thing's going rough, you can switch to another thing and move that forward instead. Yeah, like uh, one of the things that I heard that ended up being um, something that I found very insulting was um, uh, somebody had referred to me as like, oh, a, a, a Jill of all trades, a master of none. And it's like, <laughs> uh no, like these other trades actually really help me in these other areas. Like everything kind of helps and builds upon itself. Yeah. So like, uh, um, so um, for, for me, like I've, I've for a very, very long time, I have been very focused on directing and that doesn't mean that I've only been directing. It just means that everything I've learned from all of these other positions that I've done on set, I apply it when I am directing. That's it's exactly what you should do. And I think as a director, the more you know about other aspects, the better director you can be, not just for directing the actors, but for directing the entire project. Yeah, I absolutely feel like that. Like for me, a lot of my bread and butter, um, especially like out in LA, um, like I did everything before I moved out to LA. I, I literally did every role on set, like every department at least. Um, and more than once every single department. But once I got to LA, it really, it narrowed down to mostly logistics and then directing. And so the logistics and just having a better grasp of that and just growing that muscle really helped me be a far more practical director. Hmm. I could see that. I love though that you that you took the time to learn all those positions. I think that is so important. I always said, you know, when I'm composing films, I, I think it's hard to talk to a director if you haven't directed yourself. And it's hard to flip that and say to a director, well, you need to compose music for a film because <laughs> if you're not a composer, you're just not a composer. 
But I, I think it is very important to understand all the departments that you are responsible for. How can you direct them if you don't really know how, what it, not just how they work, but what it's like to be there? Right, exactly. Like, it's very much, um, I, I feel like I've worked the other positions enough to know what they're going to need from me and to be able to ask them the questions like, hey, do you need this or do you need that? And to ask them things that are going to um, give them inspiration too. Like I've been able to do their roles enough where I just know what I'm going to have to do to help them basically. Like it's literally just a position like as a director to be able to help every single other department also do their job to again, circle back to help you. Right. Well, and not only that, but I think you also keep an appreciation for all those departments as well. I think you know, when you're in the thick of things, sometimes it's easy to think, oh, the grips will take care of that or, oh, you know, the, this person will do that and, and you know, maybe lose your appreciation in the moment of, of who they are and what they do. But when you've been in that position, it's it's a lot easier to be empathetic and remember what it's like and not blow them off as easily. Oh, yeah. Like, I've, I've definitely been in those positions on set where it's like, all right, wrap is 6 p.m., wrap out takes two hours and everyone but the grunts are gone. And I'm like one of the grunts. Mm -hmm. And it takes us, you know, till 8 p.m. And our call was like 6 a.m. So we have like a 14-hour day before we even hit the road. And that's, you know, not counting any of the drive time before or after. And so, like, I've just, I can really empathize. And so I I, I get it, <laughs> which I, I feel like helps. Like, I've every project I've directed, um, I feel like has gone um, really well as far as things that are within our control and especially on the human aspect of it. I, I'm curious, the first time that you actually got to direct, you know, you, you've you been thinking about it, you're learning all the positions, but the first time you're at the helm, did it meet the expectation that you had? Was it a little overwhelming? Because, you know, there's a big difference between seeing it and actually doing it. I... I felt like I met the expectations. I was really thrilled about it. Um, so I actually, it was a, well, it was one of my first film classes and the teacher, there was one of the film projects that we were going to do for it was going to be a just, okay, this half of the class goes and makes this film. This half of the class goes and makes this other film. And then everybody in those two different groups, you get somebody that works with the director to give them, you know, the director's final vision of what the, the project was. That's all edited with the director being there with the main editor. Everyone has their roles for the set. And then also, boom, because it's an editing class, everyone has to make their own edit of each of these two directors' projects. Wow. And the teacher picked me as one of the two directors. Nice. I was. I was thrilled. It was great. Like I was, I was very, very happy with it. Um, I was able to convey everything I wanted to convey with it. It was funny for the people who didn't even really know what I was talking about or making fun of. Um, and then there was a good handful of people who edited everything that knew what I was talking about and figured out what I was going for and did like a stand up job and their edit almost came out just as, you know, exactly conveying the same thing as mine did maybe you know sharper edits or like oh that was an interesting quirk you did for the edit but it still conveyed the same thing and there was only like a couple of people who didn't actually um get it 
<laughs> but you know, like they weren't editors to begin with. So that's fine. Like I, I wasn't offended or anything from it. Um, but like compared to like the other group's project, like they were all over the place. They had no idea. <laughs> like it was, it was way less consistent. So that was like my first real time ever directing anyone. And it was, you know, it was like a three day project for the crew which or for the, uh, for the class, which wasn't a huge deal. It was like, all right, you guys are going to direct. All right. Next class is pre-production. All right. Next class after that is production. Next class after that, everyone's got to be in the edit. And then boom, everyone's got to, as homework, send in another edit. It was something along like those lines. So it's only like a two or three day project in totality, but it was, it was really satisfying. I was like super thrilled, but like the teacher like picked me for it. And I felt like I did a good job from it. And I've definitely felt like I have just consistently gotten better. Like I don't have a, like I am a little cocky as a director, but at the same time, like, oh, every project I do is just going to be better than the last. Like every single time I am improving, like I can be cocky, but I'm just constantly just getting better every time I do it. Well, and, and I like that you recognize that because I think a lot of times we don't necessarily see the progress in ourselves, you know, but I'll tell you the reason I asked the question is when I started uh, getting into film composition, you know, you watch the films, you see the music in it, you see how it works and, and that and you, you know, you kind of dissect it. And I, I just thought, OK, this is going to be easy. I know what I'm doing. I've, I've studied this enough. And the first film I got, there's no music in it. Mm. And I went, oh, yeah, all those things where I said, yeah, I would do something like that. I have to make the decisions <laughs> now. And it, it was just a weird feeling at first because I had guessed, yeah, I would do this. I would do that. Or maybe I would change this. And it's easier to second guess other people's work. And then when you're there doing it and the canvas is just purely blank, it was a, it was a big eye opener for me. That's yeah, that's that's really rough when it's um like it's just all on you. Like I, I haven't really felt like I'm um necessarily much of a writer, but I feel like I'm more of an editor. Like if you give me a script, I'd be like, oh, these are the things that need to change. If you say, hey, make a script, I'm like, ah, crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, I mean, like for you, like, did they give you at least like uh the tone for this scene, the tone for that scene? Or were they just like, there you go. Like, they, that's that's just just make something for what I'm showing you. Well, the the uh, it was a short horror movie. It was about 25 minutes long. And the note that I got was I want wall to wall sound. And I okay. thought, OK, so I have okay. to fill every inch of this with something. And uh, so I had to figure out, you know, where do I put themes? Do we want themes? Is this not that kind of movie? You know, mm -hmm. where do I do I contrast the action? Do I play it up? You know, we didn't really oh, do it. Gosh, a, a I didn't proper, give you any of that. No, we didn't really do a proper spotting session at all. So it was just kind of um, like, OK, well, I'm just going to I'm just going to write it. And if he likes it, great. If he doesn't like it, I'll maybe get some feedback and do it again. And mm -hmm. uh, and I always say that, you know, anything you're not happy with, I don't care if it's one note, let me know and I'll change it. Right. Uh, because it's not about me and what I think the music should be. It's here's my idea. Does this shape your film the way that you want it to? Right. Yeah. And that's I mean, that's ultimately like where um, like I look at it as a director and like even whenever I'm in any other position too, like essentially the job is just to make the director happy, which is kind of annoying. And then high egotistical as somebody who wants to be a director but at the same time like you have to appreciate that literally everyone's like trying to do their job because they're doing what they think is best usually like 
there's usually less drama involved than a lot of people make it out to be um like everyone wants to be proud of like what they do and they want to show it off you know like yeah they want the paycheck and all that but like you put your name on the credits still you know yeah exactly and we should be able to be proud of the work that we put out there because if it's not if it's not good enough you know i, I mean i get the differences between maybe the vision that somebody has versus the director's vision. I understand those differences and those are just going to happen. The director has the final say. So if I like, if you have me put a piece of music in the film and I'm like, I don't really think this fits. And you're like, no, I re this is what I want. And I go, okay, yeah, I'm going to cringe every time that scene comes up. But overall, I should be able to be proud of the work that I've done. Also knowing that my work was just me understanding your vision and delivering my part of that to you right like i think so much of it it really is a um a collaboration where you end up working with people that they're gonna have different ideas than you and you just have to be open to at least considering them mm -hmm. and if you are then you can get just such a a better uh product in the end like really like as a director like yes everyone should be working to make the director happy but the director has to have a through line of like just what is best for the project and not their ego right and so when somebody has like a better opinion or somebody has something that does like thematically make sense or any of these things like just a shot a um a lamp that's used in art department a bit of score like when it comes in um just any of these little aspects or like a, a an actor wanting to deliver a line one way instead of another way. Just all of these little things you have to consider as a director, like, is this just better for the project? You have to actually consider it. Like it, it takes that moment. And that that's, I, I think like what is like really a, a good director, like somebody who can just put their ego aside and like, just like, Oh shit. I didn't even think about that, but that is way better. Let's go with it. You know? Yeah. I, I, I mean, you have to, you have to be firm about the overall vision, but being open to uh, ideas that are outside of your own, I think that makes for the best director. You still have to lock it down though. I mean, you can't be just changing constantly because oh, somebody yeah, came up no, with an idea. Oh yeah, no, absolutely. Like that, that's probably one of the main things like I've, um, I've had issues with working, um, because a lot of my um, logistics work has been as like a production manager or an AD or an AD that's also wearing the production manager hat a lot of the time. And a lot of it um, in the pre-production, I actively try to really get a good idea of the director's vision. Usually I'm working very closely with the DP and the director because that that's by day. Usually, like even if something is art heavy, it still usually depends on the DP. And I usually am still doing like more indie projects where we're still kind of working around being a tight shooting schedule more so than like based around like the um, production design schedule sure. usually on the projects I've done um, like you know less period pieces and you know this stuff that's usually lighter on the um, production design side and that has been something I've struggled with too where like the directors just lose their vision like they just like I'm like me and like especially me but like often like the dp is just reminding them like no like we we talked about it like this like th this was going to be the the mood and the feeling of the scene so like you know this suggestion that you're being given right now like we literally had that in pre-pro and we decided against it remember we said it it felt like this and this and like it wouldn't work for edit and it wouldn't work for this other scene remember how you're editing this scene to that other scene and like 
it, it's very frustrating to see that like so many directors do lose their vision. Like there is definitely a a huge difference between losing what your vision is and like what the project is and what it's meant to be and what it's meant to feel like um, compared to actually being open to suggestion. Open to suggestion is just taking in information that amplifies your own vision. That's all it really is. Right. Um, Cause if you, you're changing stuff, it is too late. You're not a pre-pro you're on, you're on production. <laughs> yeah. You're done your themes, your ideas. They, that's what you got to go with. You can't change that now. Like it's, it's too late. It's the bones of your project, but um putting like the meat and the skin on it, like, oh, oh, okay, I see. Th- this can actually make it all look better. Right. And it, and it's such a rare instance when you have a film like Gladiator, for example, where, oh, yeah. what did they have, 20 pages of script and they started shooting and they're just <laughs> writing it along the way when they've got all the, the wardrobe and the weapons and the locations and all this stuff and live tigers. And I'm like, how in the hell did you not plan that movie for two and a half years before you started? I know. And it's like still pretty good, but you know, like that's what, that's what you get when you get somebody who's just such a professional director and like professional filmmakers where it's like, okay, they got the bones and it's like, all right, I got my team and the team's going to fill in the blanks. And it it really is that like, it's, it's very interesting too, because it's, um, there is a lot of hype, um, our attention given to like one, firstly, um, actors, of course. And then like, secondly, uh, directors usually, but uh, it's such a team effort and there's there's so little praise for like everyone else and everything else that goes into it and how every single department is very interlaced like you can't have a um like i mean a a production designer and a director of photography can absolutely accidentally or purposely completely sabotage each other or completely highlight each other in all the best ways. Like you just, everyone has to be working together because it's all just the same thing. Right. Well, that's why it's so important for the director to oversee and control everything. And and it's, it's a crazy job because there's so much to handle, but if you don't keep that framework together, you know, one thing will fall apart. I think about it like building a building and you're like, by the time you get to the third floor, you're like, well, I thought we were putting all the walls over here. Nah, I, I don't remember what we were going to do. So I just put them over there. <laughs> like, you can't do that. Yeah. Like it just, you gotta, you gotta have your foundation very much set and you gotta um, figure out very early on as a director, like what things, you know, you want to oversee versus what things you want to be able to trust people with. Because like, if you don't trust anyone, like, yeah, sure. Any any jerk can do the job you're hiring them for, but you want to actually hire people that like you trust to have like their own creative say and like their own insight and like be able to talk to you about these things. Like there's lots of projects I've been on where I'm just like, ah, give me something green. (laughs) And like, that's enough. And I I get happy options. And then like, either they'll just have like, this is what I picked. Or they're like, here, I brought these three options. Uh, What do you want? Like they, you know, like they don't have a strong preference themselves. So then they, they pass the baton back on to me. And so it's like, all right, pick that one. And, you know, it's, you, you find like a happy middle if, if you're doing it well. Well, and really what you want is you want to be able to put a team together that not only does this film, but becomes the team that you bring to the next film and the one after that, because the more you work oh, together, the better it'll get. Absolutely. Like, I mean, I, I wish I could just bring on 
everyone every time like i re- i really do like i i wish you know like i i would have like a big f- um studio funding so that i can just hire all of these people i know that are um completely worthy and able <laughs> to do this as well as being like just good people and even friends um that i could hire onto these things like that's well, you know that was like the goal well sure and and we used to use the uh, 48 hour film challenges to scout talent you know, we yeah. would work with different people and go, OK, write their name down on our list because I want to work with them on another project Absolutely. or um, yeah, they were kind of a jerk on this whole thing. So let's just <laughs> let's put their name in the bad the bad Santa list, you know. Oh, I absolutely X out jerks. I'm like, there is like, there's just no reason for that on set. Like it's already stressful and frustrating enough. And like, you know, you're doing the best job you can do. Like, there's no reason for you to stress over it. Like some people really have like their hearts in it and like their whole career is built on it. So they do really stress for it. But even then, like you don't got to be a jerk to other people, but like, I'm, I'm reading right now, like a, um, a behind the scenes of like what the production was like for aliens and like Cameron. And, you know, we've all heard lots of stories of Cameron. Oh, such a difficult man to work with and all of this and all of that. But, I mean, aliens, it's like one of my favorite movies, period. So I'm just curious about all of it. And, um, it is just like really fascinating because like once you start working with like some people that you like and you trust, like you'll just continuously work with them. Like we see like Sigourney Weavers, like in like, you know, Avatar and like, <laughs> you know, like, I mean, that's years and years and years later. And like, you start looking at like the older films and there's so many other projects that he was in and involved with that were uh, just the same cast and the same people. And so like, okay, like, yeah, maybe they are like bad to work with, but like, they still kind of got like their crew, you know, like they're not impossible to work with. Like some people kind of found a way. Right. Yeah. Well, and, and I mean, yeah. It, it, it it's that fine line between I want to work on the biggest movies out there and I'm willing to take the rough with the smooth to do it or uh, I really can thrive in this environment. I found a way. Maybe I don't work that directly with him and it works. I don't know. <laughs> I mean, to there's, with, there's definitely know. that too. And there's like some people like they just, you know, they just get along and they just mesh better where like those corks just don't come out. I mean, like even like, again, like um, speaking of like aliens and this like behind the scenes thing, like everything I'm reading, like, Cameron was like huge like he was just like art department he was like just the art department guy before he was getting into anything and it's like I'm thinking of like the last guy that I worked with in art department for the last project I directed I'm like holy crap this guy's literally like a Cameron like he was just so innovative and so creative and he literally did like almost exactly the same kind of stuff that Cameron was doing to save on the budget that made everything look better and he just did a perfect job absolutely perfect and like you know obviously like he was you know really nice to me and he didn't have like the um like the, the cameron attitude that we've heard so much about that none of us really know because not really any of us have worked with him um but i'm just like man like yeah like he's just like dude this guy was like a cam. i got like a cameron quality art department guy on my last project like he is on my good list nice or naughty list you know like he's just he's on that and that's the guy that you want to take to your next project and the one and want to tell everyone else to hire absolutely right or not so that you can keep him to yourself (laughs) no i want him to get money i'm a sharer i like to share my people (laughs) that's the thing and in this business it's like you can do that you don't have to you know tell people oh yeah, I'm uh, I'm not going to an audition today and then be going on three auditions because you don't want them to show up for the same audition. There's plenty of work 
And if you take care of people and you give that guy leads on three other jobs and maybe he gets one or two of them or even if he doesn't get any of them, he's going to remember that you did that. And, right. and you're going to have a better relationship. You know, it, it, people have a really twisted perspective of how to take care of people these days. So I love that you do that. Yeah, like it's um, like I have uh, um, this one person I worked with a ton of times and it's like he always just gave me like the best gear. Um, he's an he's an Arizona guy. You might you might know him. He always had his uh, grip truck and he always just gave me like the best deal. And I was like, wait, but that's not what we paid you on. Like literally the first iteration of the shoot and now like i'm the one directing this like remake of the shoot instead of that other person you're gonna give me this deal he's like yeah no that's fine i've been making money elsewhere like man i love you <laughs> like yeah like you really you get those kinds of attitudes so you just get people like you really do find people like it's it's a challenging um industry so you really do find people that they do love to do it. And if they're paying rent and if you're treating them well, as best you can too, like a lot of people do just appreciate that. And it's just, you. I've always had like really, really good crews. Like there's been so few times where I've had bad crews and any time really has been usually the crews that I haven't put together. <laughs> right. Yeah. And it's usually, if anything, it's usually like one person. It's a friend of a friend. Right. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> or not even a friend, a contact of, a friend's contact usually it's like yeah this person could fill the role <laughs> well just like in in the you know like the bank robbery movies it's always that one guy that was the last minute replacement that, that yep. was a suggestion that <laughs> causes all the problems you know you know and sometimes those are my favorite people too it's like hey you're not like all these other assholes i like you <laughs> right, yeah you <laughs> like, know, wait I, a second we're on the same page like i've definitely had that where the entire crew's just been like holy crap this whole pro project is like just a shit show but this person, hey, you, yeah, you get it. You know what's up. And That's like, right. I've made friends with the people that just get it <laughs> because yeah. we've worked on such bad projects together. And we're just like, hey, this is really bad, right? And they're like, yeah, it is. Like, oh, okay, good. I'm not uh, not alone here. All right, cool. We're on the up and up. It's an exhausting job. I mean, you're on set 14, 16, 18 hours sometimes, and you got to be back in six or seven hours. It's long days, hot temperatures, a lot of times with no breaks. You've got to keep that production rolling. It is an exhaustive work. Why waste that time that's stressful enough being around people that just make it worse? Oh, absolutely. Like you need it to be smooth and you need to, it's just really important to have good attitudes. It really is. For sure. I would think that one of the most difficult, I don't want to say difficult because I don't mean it in that way. I'll say challenging directors to ever work with would have had to have been Stanley Kubrick. Oh, I, yeah. Like it, it's so frustrating because it's like, I get it. But then also I'm like, yo, you, you got to put a pin in it. Like just as a director <laughs> yeah. yourself, like, like I've, I've done like, uh, uh, what is it? Like a 13 or a 15 take scene, but it's because I know what's missing from the scene. And I've just, anytime there's like, Oh, Stanley Kubrick had them working on this one shot all day. It's like, what was he missing every single time? What was it that that one shot got that made it into the film compared to all the others they were shooting in that day. And I've just, I've never heard what it was. It's like, I'm sorry we just had to keep filming this day, but like uh, the actress wasn't actually crying or, you know, we kept on missing technical stuff. Like I just I never hear any of that. Like I never hear a justification for it, which which makes it frustrating because like I'm always like the times that I've done that where it's gone. It, 
10 or more takes. It's, I know what I'm looking for and I have expressed it and I have said it, but shit just keeps happening. And we just keep on missing it and not getting it. And we're already set up for it. So at a point, like the AD in me is like, I know it's too many takes, but doing more takes is always less than doing a new setup. So we just need to sit here and do it and finish it. But there's a (laughs) difference between going, okay, I'm not getting what I want in this scene. Let's do it again and do it again. And scheduling it that way, where he's like, I pretty much do 80 plus takes of everything. So just prepare for that. And yeah, like, I mean, that's, you know, that's definitely rough. It's like, I want to hear like, yeah, it's like, I want to hear that justification for it. So like, yes, he's, he's on some good stuff. Um, Absolutely great stuff. But at the same time, I'm like, why was production like this? Like, are you good at that job? Like the end products are right. But like, were you good being in that position during the job? <laughs> and like people kind of idolize like the, the assholiness of a lot of directors. I'm like, no, you probably shouldn't. Like it just kind of means they suck. <laughs> right. If you have to go to that length, I would think that you're going to, you're more likely to get a better performance out of your actors in a friendly environment I'm not one of those people that, you know, I I wouldn't have been a method actor if I was an actor. Mm -hmm. So for me, it's kind of like I don't I don't get pushing people to a limit. They're actors. They're supposed to be able to create that without you physically doing that to them. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, I'm I'm definitely um, more in that league. I I think it does kind of depend on the actor and what the actor wants, because I think some of them like. I mean, I've kind of been on those productions, like even with some of the crew, it's like, let's rough it. Let's make this hard. Like, yeah, like, God, oh, it's going to the colder place. Let's climb up on the roof. Let's do this thing. And actors have a lot of that same like gumption to them. So a lot of them, they they can want that sometimes. But like you really I, I, I just think it's so important to have like just very in-depth conversations with actors before the project, just about their own methods and not even particularly about the project, just to kind of get a gauge of where they're at and what kind of stuff they're, you want to make them comfortable or you want to see like, hey, do you want to be uncomfortable during this? Like you kind of got to know. It's like sort of your responsibility as a director. Well, exactly. But also think about what that does to your budget. Like I I had read, and I don't know if this is true because, you know, just because you read something doesn't mean it's true, but it kind of makes sense. That when they were filming the scene where Jack Nicholson in The Shining breaks into the bathroom door with the axe, they had 110 doors ready to go because they knew he was going to go through a lot of takes. And imagine you're Jack Nicholson. How many times can you swing that axe before you're just so sore and tired that you can't even lift it? Right. And like even like just considering that thematically for the scene, he's not exhausted at that point in the movie in the scene you don't want to make that be an all-day ordeal like just like it's a one two like just take something else into consideration rather than like oh god kubrick's gonna make us do this 130 times (laughs) like you want you want to like just take into like a can this person do it 130 times because you don't want like him looking weak and tired in that scene I don't know what take they used. It probably wasn't the one. It probably wasn't the last one. I'm sure. Yeah. <laughs> like I, I'd actually be curious. I, I probably, you know, should, should um, look up and see like how many of the last takes were used. That would be and, interesting. And, and his project specifically, because if you're going to do that many, I mean, like, 
oof, like you gotta, you know, like really get in there. And then there's the <laughs> like, producer looking know, at the budget going a hundred doors. What, what do we, a hundred doors? I know. <laughs> like, it's just, you gotta, you gotta find your areas to be, I don't know. I mean, he, he was him. So he had the budget to do that and to have that kind of fun. Um, but you, you know what they say, like limitation breeds creativity and like, there is an air of that that I just think is forever true. I would agree with that. Uh, now, I know that you're a big horror and sci-fi fan, but do oh, yes. you do you enjoy directing mainly those films or do you just love directing that it doesn't really matter? Uh, it For me, it usually doesn't really matter, actually. Like, I'd probably, I don't know if I've really directed any sci-fi, actually, just with the budget that usually goes into them. Like, I've, I've usually um, directed... Um, or dramas or more like kind of drama comedies and like a couple of like horror drama comedies where it's sort of a, a blend between all of them um so for me like it really is just directing i i do have a an idea that like every project no matter what has to have like a drama to it like you just you have to have a drama like it needs to be drama it needs to be dramatic no matter what genre it is, it just also has to have those elements. So I've focused very much on those elements because once you get the other stuff in there, like, oh, that, that, that's easy and fun stuff. But you got to getting the drama right is really where things either like they excel or they fall flat, like no matter what it is, like if it's sci fi, it's if it's horror, like if you don't if you can't like name your characters and if your characters don't have personality and there's not stakes like it, it doesn't matter you know, no matter what you're making, whatever genre it is. I, I have to agree. I mean, I've watched movies where I thought, I don't care about these people enough to care about what's happening to them. They exactly. Just, they're not interesting. They're not drawing me in at all. Yep. And you can't tell a story that way. Oh, yeah, absolutely. No, I'm, I'm definitely the same way. Like, I, I definitely um, prefer to lean towards dynamic characters and, like, actual arcs that are happening and, like, a good story and, like, those things that are happening in that it doesn't necessarily need to be my favorite drama, um, my favorite uh, genres. Mm -hmm. I would agree. Uh, you know, we were talking about Army of the Dead before the Zack, <laughs> the Zack Snyder film that came out last year. Oh, yes. Uh, you know, I didn't think I was going to like it. It just seemed like one of those things where they were going to try too hard and it wasn't going to be good. But I watched it and I really enjoyed it, except for one thing. Mm -hmm. So, you know, when they first go out to start uh, start their way to whatever hotel they were going to. Uh, and that girl comes out, right? And she joins their team and she's oh, going to yes. fight with them. I thought the first thing that came to my mind was there is no way that this military trained girl is going into <laughs> battle with hoop, giant hoop earrings. Like, she would just never do that. And yep. Oh. Right, right there, I'm like, okay, you got, that... you got to earn me back again because you just ruined it for me. So, I mean, maybe it's as a lady. Um, so my my first like zombie movie and intro and like my my main thing is like zombie things. Like um, one of the things I will promote to you is probably like my YouTube. And I do have at least like one zombie thing on there and it's my baby. I love it. Oh, good. Um, so zombie movies, especially like that is a love it. Uh, my first one ever was actually the remake of Night of the Living Dead which okay. was made by Romero's son. And it was like early nineties. I want to say, like, I, I think I saw it like relatively new, you know, on TV, but like as a, as a pretty young kid, I watched a lot of horror movies as a young kid. So I was young with it. And I just remember being like, as the little tomboy that I was like, just like, so like obsessed. And I just love the idea that like the girl goes from like 
wearing a skirt to like changing into pants and like just how like yeah because that's more functional <laughs> like you want to wear right. pants during this kind of stuff and so like even while i think i mentioned earlier that i'm like re-watching like the uh, walking dead series mm-hmm. later on especially like just so many characters have like such a look and like such like an aesthetic to them and it's so none of, like there's so few of them that are just like practically dressed <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that I'm like I'm always like so bothered <laughs> whenever a character isn't just being practical in a life or death situation by what they're wearing. Like even the Walking Dead video games did it better, where like they uh, make um, a character is advised like, "Yo, you need to cut your hair because those things are gonna grab your hair and kill you." Right, the zombies are gonna grab your hair and kill you. You need to have short hair. And like they make it a big point of the game. It's like one of those choices. Like, did you tell this character to cut her hair or not? It's like a big deal. And it's, it is like, it's just something that's very practical. Um, when you like really think about it and really consider it. So yeah. Hoop earrings, take that shit out. What are you doing? (laughs) But, but here I am and I'm, you know, I know how films are made. I've worked on enough of them and I'm thinking, didn't anyone in the production anywhere go um don't do that (laughs) did anybody bring that up did the actress go this isn't a good idea it just oh my gosh those are the things that i look at and go okay i don't understand how that happened i know like it's it's very um like they they went for like a stylized choice but i i definitely feel like you can be stylized and i think being stylized is even better when you could make it like practical and like functional for what in the movie is that you're making right yeah um but do do you typically see those things too do they bother you or is it just something that you're like well that's how they made it definitely oh it definitely does like i mean there's again like just walking watching the walking dead series and the other versions of the series that they've had like they have so many characters with the long hair and i'm like why you don't need to go to a barber to cut your hair you guys have knives you guys have there's scissors everywhere like just cut your hair there's no reason (laughs) to to hold on to that piece of vanity when things can literally grab it and like i've been someone where i've had long hair like i'm i'm mostly a short hair person myself but i've had the long hair and like holy crap that was that'd be the first thing to go if there's like a, a zombie situation absolutely my long hair is gone. You tuck your shirt into your pants. You make sure that you're, you know, the no edges of your coat. pant legs yeah, aren't frilled. None of that. Yeah. 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 All of that. Like you got it. It's really like be very practical like that. And it's, it's very funny because the video games <laughs> um, for the Walking Dead series, it, those are excellent video games, by the way. Um, they're very um, not, uh, they're very easy for gamers. And so like non-gamers would be able to get into them. They're very dialogue driven, very choice driven. And all of them, like it's, everyone's like a lot more practical and a lot more smart than you see like later on in like the later seasons of like some of the Walking Dead stuff where everyone's just, they got a look. And so that's just going to be their look and then they won't cut their hair and they're going to wear all these baggy clothes and they're just going to, and not be the most practical people. There's definitely, you know, people who are like that and they've stuck with it and they have not changed their look or anything over the years. <laughs> and it's great. And you love them. There's other characters. It's like, 
how have you lived this long with hair that long? Right. I think that we should start burying people in restrictive clothing just in case there is a zombie apocalypse. It'll be a lot harder to chase us. (laughs) Everyone needs to be able to have a good zombie apocalypse outfit. I think so. At least one. Well, speaking of of, uh, outfits, you have done a little bit of cosplaying in your days. I have. You always always take it to the hilt, though. That's what I love about when you do it is you just always go the extra mile and and it always looks perfect. You really put a lot into that. I I feel like I don't because I know so many cosplayers that I go to these conventions and I, I go to these things where I just see people that just they really go all out. But I um again to speak on the practical front like i find costumes that i know i could wear all day and so i really make it so i could wear them all day exactly like and you're gonna be like if you're doing a convention or something you have to know you're gonna be on your feet all day you have to know you're gonna be probably in the summertime it's gonna be hot you have to know there's gonna be crowds you have to know like all these other things you're gonna need to use the restroom you're gonna need to be able to eat and drink throughout the day so a lot of my costumes kind of revolve around just like, I don't want to suffer all day. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, so like, I mean, like, what, what, what are some of the ones that you, you've you seen that, um, uh, uh, that you know, <laughs> make you think of bringing this up? Well, the, the first one that comes to mind is you did, and I don't know if it, now I don't know a lot of the characters, so I'm, I'm just going to have to describe more what it looked like. But there was okay. one that was very Princess Leia looking. And you well, had that was Princess and... Leia. Oh, it was. Okay. <laughs> Just straight up Princess Leia. <laughs> you see how good at this I am, you know. But but that was it was it was amazing because the way that you had your hair it was I mean it was immediately recognizable the way that you had done the buns. And all that. And I'm just like, wow, that is is ice because I've seen people do a lot of half ass stuff. Mm-hmm. But I remember the first year I went to Comic-Con in Phoenix, um, there was a girl and she had this really ornate looking shield. And I happened to be standing in line behind her and I asked her um, where she got it. And she said, I made it. And I said, wow, how long did that take you? And she said, 18 hours. Oof. And so I, worth it. <laughs> yeah, but that's just it. I mean, people really care about the the amount of effort that they put into it. And, and they will go that length. It's, it's just, it blows my mind for one day at a convention because they're never going to bring that outfit out again. I mean, yes and no. I've brought these outfits out multiple times. Oh, okay. <laughs> um, so I, I will say like, cosplayers probably will bring them out multiple times. Like if they really like them, if they're in the mood for it, like if they're feeling it, like if they're, you know, not past the phase of whatever thing it is that they're um, cosplaying, uh, they definitely will. And there's like a few, like I really, really want to do. And there's some that I know that are just outside of my skill set that I would love to try. But it's funny that you bring up the Princess Leia because um, that that is weirdly enough, probably like my most popular one. And I mean, I get, you know, the most comments about it, the most obvious recognition from it, like easy. It's, you know, Star Wars. Um, but I get the most recognition at cons. And funny enough, so with my Princess Leia one, I bought it years ago. Like I, I got it at like, it was like literally a Target costume. And I bought my own boots. The wig came with it. And then I've just since then grown out my own hair. And then I just wear it <laughs> with my own hair instead of the actual wig. But the wig looks great because it matches my hair. Like just, it's perfect. And it was the first time I ever cosplayed at any convention after years of going to them without cosplaying and being one of those people, right? I just would always wear a dorky shirt and nothing else. 
this is my first time cosplaying and I was with one friend and it was just it was hilarious because I'm like this is a shitty Target Halloween costume that I wore at Halloween and now I'm wearing it six (laughs) months later at like Phoenix Comic Con and I'm being stopped every 10 feet what the fuck (laughs) and it has been like that every single time I've worn that costume which is hilarious to me because it's it I literally just bought the boots and I I do my hair that day either when my hair is long and I do the buns myself for my real hair or I tuck my hair into the wig in a way where it looks like it's my real hair. And that's it. That's like all the effort that it takes. And it's still like one of my favorites that I love and other people love. And it's just so funny to me because it's so um, low, um, low effort compared to some of my other ones. Well, but what's really interesting about that is sometimes it's not what we do. Sometimes it's just something simple that just looks good. Like there are certain things that, yes, you have to, if you're going to be pyramid head, you've got a mm-hmm. you got a lot of work to do. Oh, yes. But, you know, think about Michael Myers. I mean, that mask was just a generic William (laughs) Shatner Halloween mask. Brilliant. And now it's it's become like the most iconic mask in horror history. I know. I love it. It's it's great. Like, it's so funny. I can make those kinds of things out of nothing. But I mean, I feel like the Princess Leia is just like, oh, they think like you look like her. And then so it makes it that much better, which is like, that's so not what all cosplay is like so much of it is just like the effort and the quality that's put into it i always just feel like i'm just like skirting by because i'm like look at my princess leia (laughs) i bought it at a store and then i bought the boots at another store down the street i'm great (laughs) (laughs) well i mean but what about your your kill bill costume the kill bill one i was very happy with um I, of course, bought what I bought for that, but I added my own things. Um, Like I knew the jacket was going to be too hot just being where I live with it being October. So I knew I wanted to wear like a tank top or something underneath, even though, you know, it's not canon. Mm -hmm. So I just splattered a bunch of blood on it. And we're kind of funny enough. um, The wig that I wore for that ended up before I had the Halloween was it before? Oh gosh, it might have. Yeah, it might have been after. Actually, I bought the wig for my. I did a Metal Gear Solid short film, a fan film, and there's a character in that that was gonna wear that wig, <laughs> and so I bought the <laughs> wig for that. And the wig's not a great Kill Bill wig. Like it doesn't really match her hair, but it matches this character for my short film, and so I wore that instead of a wig that's proper for the cosplay of what I was wearing during Halloween. And I just happened to have the sword because of course I have the sword anyways. Um, But I just, it was very funny with the wig because the wig is definitely not a Kill Bill wig. It is a sniper wolf from Metal Gear Solid wig. And there is a big difference. (laughs) But see that you made it work and it looks great. I loved it. I had, I had a great time with it. I mean, it's one of my favorite uh, movies. It, you know, it's two movies. I counted as one. It's just one movie. It's great. <laughs> the last year that I went to uh, Phoenix Comic Con, I think it was, it must have been three years ago now, mm-hmm. um, when I was getting ready to leave, a uh, Velociraptor walked by. Oh, and yes. it was a fully realistic, I mean, obviously the skin wasn't like, real animal skin but i mean watching that thing walk it was unbelievable the realism 
with that. And I don't know if it was robotic or if there were people in there or what it was. There was a person That's leading it around. Amazing. Like what they do with like the, the stilts and yeah. like, with the, like the little, like, it's not even like full, like um, animatronics or anything, but it's like a puppeteering and it's just so skillful. Like I've seen that. Like, I think I might've even gone to the same Phoenix comic-con as you um, and saw that. And it's just, it's great. They do need like a handler though. Like you need yeah. somebody, <laughs> they need somebody guiding them, which is, it's funny. It's like kind of the cost of um, cosplaying to that extent, which is that's beyond where I want to go. I don't want to be wearing a suit like that where I need a handler. I don't want to take up that much space. I don't, that's not my kind of cosplay, but I do like putting in those little bits of effort, a little bit of detail and like, that kind of stuff with it. And you definitely don't want to go near a staircase. Nope, not at all. <laughs> but but you, you don't know what the convention center is like. You might have some staircases that you have to deal with. That Velociraptor did if they wanted to go, you know, to the art hall or anything like that. Exactly. But I mean, even like the people that are in the full Stormtrooper costumes, I'm like, it is May in Phoenix. Yep. What are you thinking? And then I find oh, out, yeah. well, that's a $2,500 costume. It's liquid cooled. And I'm like, what? what? Yep. I mean, you know, the, the thing is, the trick is to wear it more than once. And what I have found with the cosplays that I like to do is I like to also make them Halloween acceptable. So, you know, you go to a couple of Halloween parties, you wear it maybe more than once that year. And then like the cosplay season comes around in the summer and you kind of maybe wear it another couple of times. Like I've hope. definitely reworn my... um uh my uh, rick and morty cosplay a lot i just go as lady rick i have a wig and a unibrow and a lab coat <laughs> <laughs> like that's really the extent of it everything else is just like some clothes i already happen to have like an old pair of khaki pants an old tank top and like some shoes i literally just keep it all together and like that's it i have a flask and like boom i got my pockets it's the easiest costume and it's fun as hell all yeah. day. Well, there you go. Well, that and that also would help my argument with that we need a second Halloween. I mean, I'm not going to say no to that. We absolutely <laughs> do. I, I didn't think you would. Uh, you mentioned uh, video games earlier. You were uh, you were doing some work as a twi Twitch streamer. That's hard to say sometimes. It is a tongue twister. <laughs> I, I am so fascinated by this world because... I don't understand other than learning maybe tricks and tips or like watching somebody do a speed run through a game. I don't get the concept of watching somebody else play a game. I'd want to play. I'm mostly in that league too. Usually like I'm far less. Um, I, I've mostly been less of a viewer than I have been a streamer myself. Um, but I, there is a joy in it. There is definitely fun in it. Like I like being able to, um, for me, like I don't usually go to streamers that are not my friends. I like watching my friends play a game and then it's really fun if it's a game you've played and if you like it and watching your friends play and giving them the right kind of tips in the ways that is going to make the game more enjoyable for them. I find that aspect really enjoyable um, and then sometimes they'll do like the same for you. Like if you're playing a game they've recommended, they'll come in and say hi. I was like, oh boy, you're at this part. What's going to happen next? Oh no. Like, oh, quick save, <laughs> you know? So there, there is definitely a lot of fun to it. Um, I haven't been streaming um, this year at all. And 
I kind of stopped actually in like the last year. Like it's, it's been probably uh, eight months at this point, closer to a year since I've streamed myself, but I went at it for a long time and it was, it was pretty enjoyable. I think I would forget that there's people listening and watching and just play the game and quit talking. You know, I would get so involved in the game that I don't speak. And that's not going to make for a fun channel. That that definitely happens. Um, what I noticed was happening is there was a lot of the times like the games were fun, but unfortunately, like sometimes there's people um, uh, that make the game, they they try to ruin the experience. And like what, what I really just noticed, uh, noticed myself is like, I just wanted to play these games because I've just always been a gamer. And I found that um, trying to be... Not necessarily entertaining, but engaging with my audience and the people that were in my chat, it was distracting for the game. So I'd end up just pausing and then talking to them and then going back to the game and pausing and talking and going back and forth, where it sort of ruined the mood of whatever the game was. I mean, the wor- the worst I had as far as audiences go was uh, for the game The Last of Us 2. Um, and that game, like, I ignorantly didn't realize like why there was like so much hate for it like i kind of got it like they um uh they did some things to a main character very early on that were very um rough and you could see fans not liking that and i just i blanked out on the other things that they they did in the story and the story it was just it was because of course it was like the the sexists and the the bigots coming in trying to ruin the stream for anyone who was playing the game for the first time. And that, that was always my thing. Like I was always playing a game for a first time. Like I wasn't really a repeat gamer. I wasn't somebody who followed gaming trends. I just played what I wanted to play. And it was always for the first time. And occasionally it would be a newish game like last of us Two, Cause I'd actually played the first one, which was rare. And it actually just dropped the money for the new one, which was rare and be able to stream it. Uh, which was, it was all these three things that happened <laughs> that'd be pretty rare for me. So there's very few times where I played brand new games for the first time with everyone else. The Lost of Us 2 was one of those, but people came in and like, they were really trying to spoil the story because they just hated it. Mm-hmm. You know, they It didn't work on me. Like I still really enjoyed the hell out of the game, but it's just like, damn, people are actually like that mad that there's like, there's there's like a lesbian in the game like they're really like that mad about this like they're that mad that there's like a a trans character and it was just like their their usernames were spoilers for the game like it was that bad (laughs) so they could not even actually say anything that was offensive or wrong or ban worthy but their actual username was like x kills x just just like their presence <laughs> alone though is enough to right like this character know. dies at the end like it, they were literally just like username snake kills dumbledore <laughs> like for specifically this game and so like and they're just like saying hey and having like a normal conversation but then like you know this their name like oh oh you're one of those okay ben and so it was very it's very it's very frustrating that there's so much of that kind of chat on twitch when a lot of it's just it's it could be so fun. It really can. Like Jackbox is great. I've had so many great gaming nights where everyone's just having a ton of fun with it. And then like people just really get sticks up their butt about like certain games and then they just really have it in their mind that they need to ruin it for everyone else. Yeah, I, I, I see that so much. And that's one of the reasons I'm on the Internet so little. I pretty much post and log off these days. 
because mm-hmm. it's just so much, you know, I don't like this, so I don't want you to like it either. So much of that. And it's just like people, people aren't really like that. Like I get like giving the opinion, but you have to be like, okay, this is my opinion. I didn't like this thing. And then you go into why. And like, that's fine. Like there's definitely, I think some valid criticism for like, again, like last of us too. Like there's some things like, man, I wish like they kind of did this different or this kind of fell off or like things that aren't a problem for me that I can reasonably understand being a problem for other people, like switching a main character that you play as like that, that that's tough as a gamer. Oh yeah. (laughs) I've been through that before with other games and it's difficult to actually go through that no matter, no matter what circumstances are, especially when they make the circumstances very rough. So I get it, but like that shouldn't make you go on like some kind of like fun sabotage mission for everyone else playing the game. Yeah, exactly. I mean, just pop up in the middle of people's streams and just point out the fact that you're angry. Is there something wrong with you if you're doing that? Like, I mean, even say like, Oh, Hey, I didn't like this thing. What do you think of it? Like, just, you know, I bring that up because it's like, yeah, like if you're switching like a main character, for example, you usually find out like pretty early on, like, oh, this is the main character. Oh, that's not the main character anymore. And like after that point, like, hey, what do you think about this? Like, just bring it up. And like, you know, maybe this person be like, I'm not into it either. Like, hey, we're buddies now. Like, we both don't like this thing. Instead of just coming in and like, I don't even want to use the word trolling, but I mean, it, it kind of is. It is. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, yeah. like it's, yeah, like that's productive conversation. That's people that are like analyzing things and, and, you know, that's fine. But there's a difference between that and just going, Hey, I just want to let you know, I'm very unhappy. Like, that's great. You didn't need to come into my <laughs> like, channel and okay. tell me that. <laughs> Stranger. Like, I can't tell day. you how many times, like, I've just, I was just like, all right later (laughs) i mean you can leave bye (laughs) right exactly i just i just find it a fascinating world and and i love that people are making a living on it you know people some of them have huge amounts of followers and hundreds of thousands of followers it 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 baffles me i happen to see a link to a video on facebook where a cow was walking on some kind of trestle like way up in the air And it said it was Grand Theft Auto. And I thought, I've never played Grand Theft Auto, but I'd never heard about cows being in it. And certainly, (laughs) why are they up in the air? You know, and so I started watching this video and literally this cow is just walking really slow across this cylinder. And then he's on a train car and then he's on some (laughs) planks of wood. And like, I don't understand anything about this, but I find it hypnotic. (laughs) (laughs) And so I'm like watching just to see how it ends. And and I watched for maybe 20 minutes, but apparently this went on for hours and hours. And, and oh I'm like, goodness. How, how do you, why, why would you watch that for hours? I, I don't get bored. it. Like, I just, I just get bored of that, that kind of stuff. Like it's, it's tough. Cause even when it's like friends, like I could hang out for a couple of hours, but I usually can't like sit and watch like the whole time like i I do definitely enjoy the process of like watching somebody play a game but there's with most games gonna be those like kind of downtime moments where you know it's sprinkled in where it's like more about the person being able to do a skill and practicing that skill um because that's what games are rather than like being the entertainment factor of you watching them succeed in this thing 
I have a lot of friends right now. Like I actually have a few friends right now, like playing through like the Mass Effect series for like the first time. Like I do not want to sit there and watch them play the whole thing. But once they start telling me about like the story and choices, I'm like, yes, what's up? Let's talk. <laughs> the ones that I, that fascinate me are the speed run throughs. Mm-hmm. Oh, those are interesting. I don't get, you know, you, you spend all your time building up your characters so that you can defeat the end level boss. And mm-hmm. they're like just running through the games, not leveling up maybe one for every 10 times I would do it. And yet somehow they still defeat the boss that I can't defeat 10 levels higher than they are. It's amazing. They're so skilled. Yeah. They just uh, like I, I do find those usually pretty fascinating. It's tough because I don't have that kind of appreciation for speed runs. Um, like I play the games but I don't know like all the little quirks with like, oh, how fast you can do it. Like sometimes I appreciate a moment here or there. Other times like, okay, yep, you're playing this part. Okay, yep, yep, that's what I did. Same thing, same thing. Um, but like when they're good, like it's it's really fascinating because like they really know the game. It's great. Like it, it can be very, very fun. And those records are very interesting because it's, some games have those glitches where that you can exploit um, into beating it in a quicker time. Whereas like other games don't exactly have that. And you just have to play the game a certain way. And you just kind of got to get lucky and have that um, skill set to manipulate it, to function in the way that's quickest. Exactly. Is, yeah. It's very interesting. Very fascinating. I, I'm more the kind of player that like, if I'm playing a game like Diablo you know, I don't have those kind of reflexes anymore. And I'm more likely to just hang out behind a rock for 18 minutes until that <laughs> demon walks by and I can attack him from behind uh-huh. <laughs> instead of just run out and provoke him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a lot of friends in um, esports. And so they play a lot of competitive games. And that that's obviously very different. Um, like that, That's much different. Like, oh, this person versus this person. And it's like, you know, it's like 10 or 15 minutes of a match and it's like super high stakes, super fast paced, 10 or 15 minutes of a match is actually like three to five matches. And so it's like every single round matters so much in every single life or every single stock, like specifically Smash Brothers for me. Um, uh, so like that each matters, every single hit can matter or make a difference. And depending on like what the situations are and the characters and the people who are playing, the stakes are all higher. Right. Yeah, it's it's amazing. And you know, we have an esports arena here at the Luxor now. Yes, I've actually been there a few times. It's pretty cool. <laughs> I, I've been there and I have partied there. Ah. <laughs> it's great. That's that's my favorite hotel. I love the Luxor. The Luxor is really great. That's my favorite part of the strip, like that area. Excellent. That's I, I that's where I, I live close to. I'm I'm about uh what 10, 12 minutes without traffic to Tropicana. That's fantastic. Which is right across the street from uh, Excalibur. So yeah, Excalibur, uh, yeah. Luxor, New York, New York, like that, and the MGM, like that whole area. That's like that's where the strip starts, and that's like just such a good end of it. The rest is like fun to wa- walk, and like you go down, and you can do a loop around. But like, yeah, it's like that. That's the start of the strip. Yeah, that's a good spot for me too. Oh yeah. Uh, so we're gonna have all your links of where people can find you and stuff in the show notes. But tell us before we wrap up. Tell us what you're up to now. Oh boy. So right now, (laughs) um, so right now I'm actually in the process. I'm moving away from film production a little bit and working a little bit more on comic production. Um, I've always been a very heavy storyboarder 
And so I'm putting a little bit more effort into my storyboards and actually just making comics out of some of my stories. I'm doing some fan fiction stuff and some original stories and then just some humorous comics here and there. Um, I'm also uh, doing one-off drawings a lot on Threadless which is like selling t-shirts and products. Okay. (laughs) Um, So I'm, as far as like the industry stuff goes, obviously like I'm still very interested in directing, but I'm, um, I'm, I'm kicking my way in less with that stuff. And I'm actually working more now as a COVID compliance officer. So helping productions be safe with uh, regards to COVID and other diseases and just overall safety on sets, um, which as an AD, again, that's something that's, it's kind of always been in my back pocket anyways, and wanting to just be um, COVID aware and COVID safe anyways, it's, it's been a very good fit for me. Um, so yeah, so right now it's a lot of Patreon posts. It's a lot of threadless posts. I still have all my short films finally, as of just this year, uh, released on YouTube and I'm pretty fairly active on Twitter and Instagram as well. (laughs) Although Instagram, you're going to get a little bit more, um, pet pictures. (laughs) Nothing wrong with that. (laughs) They're cute. So definitely not. It's uh, it's so cool getting to talk to you because we've known each other for years, but we it's one of those things where like we met some some place in the industry and that was kind of it. You know, it is that that's how it goes. Like you make all these Facebook friends that you meet one time on set and then where where are they? Who are they? Hi, Scott. Who well, are you? Well, the, the magic <laughs> of being on set is like you become a really close knit family who is going to stay in touch forever until the production wraps. <laughs> <laughs> that is very true. You know, and, and then it's sign my call sheet and hopefully we'll see each other on another production. Someday. It's, it's yep. a really weird thing. It, it, and, uh, you know, I've worked on some plays up here in Vegas and it's like that too. It's such an intense time between the rehearsals and the production that you get to know each other and you're there through all the stress and all the, you know, uh, the tiny crowds and the huge crowds and all of that. And you just feel like these are the people I want to work on every play with or every project with. Right. And then, you know, you stay in touch a little bit when it's over and it's like in the moment, it's really intense and you're close. But once it's done, it's like all that just gets released. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 not like any other industry's uh, work life. Yeah. Like the work work slash normal life balance. Um, it's just not the same in the industry. It really isn't like it is just is 90% work and you really do most people most projects do end up being pretty enjoyable so like you really do end up getting close with the rest of the crew and you know you're all just in it for the long run and the tough project that you're in for um but you know the next project like you're not the one hiring every single person so yeah it's new people almost every time exactly well thank you so much for coming on the show sesh is great to talk to you and i'm i'm so excited for all these things you're doing i'm really glad that there are people looking out for the health of people on set because you know we're not gonna squash this thing unless we're doing that and film sets there's so many people in and out so important to you know keep everybody healthy 
No, I mean, I, I appreciate that. I, I definitely saw the importance. I'm happy that now, um, you know, the the Eminem bowl on the crafty table is now Eminem packets. So not ah. everyone is sticking their hand in the same thing. Um, we're just all going to forever be healthier. <laughs> you know, in a lot of the restaurants here in Vegas, instead of having menus, they've gone to QR codes. Exactly. Like anything like that. Like we've, um, we've um, it's kind of forced uh, the industry to be pretty green which a lot of projects I've been on just they've just completely ignored that whereas it's always been something that's been very possible and so it's been forced but it's something that should have and could have been implemented so many years sooner that it's it's actually really nice to see how creative especially production has gotten um as far as being like covid safe because production took a real break and they really figured out how to come back and their way of coming back has been really brilliant and safe like it's it's been great like i've not caught covid so that's good, good. <laughs> it's, it's getting to be a rare thing but you know like it's and i'm still working and i'm still doing stuff yeah. so i i have been fortunate enough of course i don't leave the house a whole lot but i've been fortunate enough to uh, stay safe this whole time as well and that's great man it, it's uh it's a different world but i'm glad we still have people that are are looking out and keeping things going thank you so much for helping entertain us and and give us good things to enjoy I wish you the greatest with all these things. I think you're going to do fantastic. Oh, and, and thank you so much for having me on the show. It's been really great to reconnect. Um, I'm I'm excited to share, you know, where, wherever I can, like the the YouTube and the Threadless and all these other little things. I've kind of I've I've kind of been putting some time into. Like it's it's fun to be able to share and just find these ways to be creative and have some kind of platform to talk about those creative things. Absolutely. Well, you're welcome here anytime. <laughs> We'll have to do it again. <laughs> Definitely. Well, hang on for me for a moment, if you would. That's going to do it for this episode, folks. Thanks so much for tuning in, for uh, you know, listening to what Sesh had to say. She's so cool. So even that name is cool. I love that, Sesh. I've never heard that before, but I that was one of the first things I, I noticed. I'm like, parents. that is a badass name. <laughs> I got weird parents, but I like it. <laughs> there you go. You guys join us on our normal Wednesday episode. We'll be back with another album review and then another interview, a really special one next week. So you guys take care. Thanks for joining me on the show and we'll see you.